Hi, I'm Regina Boyd, licensed marriage and family therapist and licensed mental health counselor, and your host of the Connecting Out Loud podcast. Here we talk about connections with our families as they relate to our mental health and Catholic faith, all while connecting you with those you love the most. Thanks for joining me for this episode. Let's dive in. who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, coming in human likeness, and found human in appearance, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This reading is known as the kenosis, the pouring out of Jesus, and you find it in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, and I wanted to set a precedent with that. I feel like it's the example of what we want to do in our own families when we're living out our Christian life and trying to make the Trinity visible throughout our lives, and I feel like that verse really embodies the goal of what we're trying to do. Now, I'm not a theologian, but Um, I have some insider theological information that I thought it would be helpful to share that with you guys. So what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about what the Trinity means, what living the life of the Trinity, making the Trinity visible means for everyday life. It means that we make God visible in our action. The topic of today is a heart outpoured, making the Trinity visible, and What we're really trying to get at today is what it means to live that in everyday life. What is it like for everyday life? And there's a few points to that. One, it just means making God visible in our actions. In the Trinity, uh, we know that the Father gives all of himself in love to the Son, and that's an infinite giving. And likewise, the Son gives himself in love to the Father when we're talking about the Trinity. So there's this eternal exchange between them, between Father and Son. And the love between them exists as a third person, what we know as the Holy Spirit. So to make the love of God visible we enact this same Trinitarian love in our lives. The family, in a way, makes God visible in the exchange and outpouring of mutual love, um, the husband for the wife, the wife returning that, the wife for her husband, and God willing as parents for any children, physical or spiritual, that they may be gifted with. And so there's sort of a mirroring there or a parallel in a way that we can make God's love visible in our own families and in our own marriage. And why I want to talk about it today is I feel like it's so important because the way we live our family life, the way we love our kids, the closer we can get to imaging that love in our families is it's a real world payout for our kids. It will be incredibly beneficial for any children that we are um, raising or in contact with. Um, And so we want to try to do what we can um, on behalf of our kids. So I think it's really important to talk about that today. By the way, if you're listening to this on the day this episode airs, I want you to check out my online resources, Discovering Deep Love, a marriage course, and the Mini Love Lab 
It's all about emotional intimacy and sexual intimacy. There's some really good deals and bonuses going on right now. So go check out the links for those um, during the holidays. You're going to see some awesome deals. You don't want to miss it. So what does this look like? Getting back to the Trinity and imaging that in our life. What does that look like? First, we know as parents, you are the first primary teachers of your children. They begin to know who God is through your love, through your love for them. And a lot of times we know through many studies that have been done that children's perception of God is influenced by that, influenced by the love they received from their parents. I actually was doing um, an evaluation for somebody recently, and they told me about how they weren't really raised in the faith at all, but that their parents loved them so well. They experienced so much love in their home and their family growing up that when that time came in their adulthood, when they did have a deep spiritual encounter, a religious encounter with God and with Jesus, they said it was just so easy for them to believe that it was true and that it was real and that God was a loving God because their family was so loving. And so it was just a very easy, smooth transition for them that they could easily accept. And so our children know who God is through our own love, and that is crucial. Um, I think we know that intuitively. Sometimes we have a lot of guilt over those moments where we lose patience, but I share it as hopefully as a motivator um, and as a calling, as a mission of something to strive for, something that we can be reminded of what we're called to do. So what does that look like exactly? Practically speaking, it's one thing to talk about being lofty up in the clouds, you know, imaging the Trinity. And it's another thing to be living that when you're making peanut butter sandwiches and driving Um, your kids to sports practices. (laughs) So I think that first, that love should look very attentive. You want to be in tune and almost with this ready receptiveness when a child comes to you. Um, And that can be really tough. We are oftentimes bogged down with busyness and with responsibilities and thinking about all the tasks we have to do as parents, or even in our own marriage, we're thinking about you know, you go here, I go here, we're tackling these two different things on different angles. Like you go to the store, I'll stay home and take care of the laundry. And then when we get home, we'll make dinner and this. And so it doesn't free up a lot of brain space to be attentive to our kids' needs at times. And it's it's a challenge for sure. I know I say this um, (laughs) not judgmentally at all, because I can take this own advice myself. But Um, love that is attentive is being in tune enough with our spouse's needs, with our kids' needs enough, just that we can meet them in that moment of need with love. We're aware of what's happening with them on enough of a level that we are available emotionally. When the time comes that they reach out and ask for help, we can kind of suspect that something might be going on. They seem a little off. You know, one of our kids is in the room, like not really being their normal selves. We're attentive to that. We're in tune so that when that moment comes, when they finally are asking for help, we're going to be there. And that's the second point I want to talk about. Love loving response would be relatively prompt. I think it depends on the age of your child. So obviously for an infant, you're going to want to be very prompt when there's crying and we're needing to change diapers and feed food. That's helping a child know that they can trust their caregivers. They can trust the people in the world around them. As a child gets older, certainly there's lessons we want to teach them about, um, 
delayed gratification and patience and things like that. Um, But at the same time, we still want to, in order to show love, I think God is um, more or less prompt with us in our responses. He might not always say yes to prayers that we have, um, but he's prompt in meeting our needs and giving us whatever we need in the moment based on whatever situation we're going through. So just trying to mirror that in a sense for our kids as well. Love also we know is generous. And that is a tough one for sure. Just those moments when you just want one more sip of warm coffee or tea in the morning, when you want to take that quick moment to respond to somebody's text on a phone and you're getting interrupted. It's so hard in those moments to be generous and to be willing to sacrifice those small things because it's not a lot. We're not asking for a lot. All I'm saying is just drinking my cup of coffee before it goes cold, right? (laughs) And yet we're still called to stretch and be generous with that love and not um, showing that frustration when those times come up as best as we can, right? We can't be perfect 100% of the time. So attentiveness, being prompt, being generous. And then I would say patience. This is huge. Being patient in those moments of frustration, even when our children do do something wrong, whether it's intentional or not intentional. I know um, in my own life, my own daughter, she's pretty young. Um, She's still in toddler mode, but reminding myself of her developmental stage. You know, if she just randomly goes to the fridge and fills up a cup of water and then proceeds to dump it on the floor immediately after filling up the cup of water. You know, there's that temptation there to be frustrated about that. But at the same time, it's a very appropriate response for that age level to just be experimenting and exploring and having fun and seeing what things do, um, kind of like in this constant science experiment mode. (laughs) And so it's really hard to be patient, especially when we have to get out the door or there's something else to do. And so as best as we can, remembering that it is a very sacrificial love, a self-sacrificial love, and it requires us to pour ourselves out for our children constantly. And that's what that kenosis, that reading I gave in the beginning, Jesus's outpouring to meet us where we're at. And that's why I think it's so important because that, like I said, that lofty idea in the clouds of being an icon of God, you know, it It is, in a way, it's high theology, but it's high theology with feet firmly on the ground, meaning anyone can do this. I think it's a high calling, it's a mission, and it could sound intimidating when we think about it. But because of what God has done, because of what Jesus did, of emptying himself, walking among us, pouring himself out, and like he said, becoming in human likeness, we know that it's possible. We know that anyone is capable of doing this and it's something we should completely strive for. So if we are to be loving, if we are showing self-sacrificial love in our marriage and in our kids, what does this approach produce in our own children? It produces healthy attachment. So what is attachment? Um, There's healthy and unhealthy styles of attachment. So I'll kind of go over them just briefly. Um, and what that could involve. First, you have the anxious attachment style. So anxious attachment usually comes when parents can kind of be um, a little 
over-involved, a little too involved. Maybe parents are anxious themselves, but they're very much worrying about a lot of things. Um, maybe they worry um, a little too much, or actually they don't worry, they withdraw a lot. Um, I apologize about that. I'm mixing that up. So for kids with an anxious attachment, they have parents or caregivers who were withdrawn and unavailable. And so the child felt like they constantly had to seek out the time and affection. And let me backtrack for a second, because what do I mean when I say attachment styles? Attachment styles are ways that we as young children, as infants, learn to interact with the world. We learn how to know what's safe and what's unsafe. And so it's really important in those first three years of life that our caregivers are very quick to respond to our needs, like I was talking about earlier. So whether it's changing a diaper or um, feeding us, that they were meeting those needs in a reasonable amount of time, not leaving us alone for hours on end to fend for ourselves, because that would teach a child whether or not um, the world around me is safe, whether I can trust my caregivers, um, that people are good and generally want what's good for me or not. And so depending on how we relate with our caregivers, that can impact our attachment styles, which impacts our relationships as we get older, how we interact with people around us as we get older. So that anxious attachment style develops when a parent is usually withdrawn. So they're a little delayed on responding to needs. The child has to seek things out and they often are left feeling anxious because they're scared. They don't know when those needs are going to get met and they don't know, um, what they have to do to earn it in a sense. They're just constantly desiring that. And in an adult version or older version of anxious attachment, these are people who really desire love. They value relationships very highly, but they might be the person who um, calls you 50 times, you know, when you don't answer a text and within 10 minutes or something like that, they become very anxious and they're worried. Was it something I did wrong? Are you okay? Is everyone safe? And so things escalate very quickly in the mind of someone with an anxious attachment. The next attachment style is an avoidant attachment style. And this can develop when a caregiver might be a little too over-involved at times. So um, we know that developmentally it's appropriate as children get older, you know, around one year old, they like to explore and be away from their parents um, 18 months, but always kind of with the parent within reach. So they'll wander and come back type of thing. So what happens is with an avoidant attachment, you might have a situation where a child's away exploring and the over-involved parent might come in at a time when the child doesn't need anything. So they're fine. They're playing by themselves, like entertained. And um, the caregiver comes in and is like, you okay? Like you need some food here, eat some food. Here's this. So it kind of makes um, that person as they grow into an adult fearful of close relationships, because if I get too close, I'm feeling very overwhelmed. I'm feeling bogged down and I would rather avoid, that's why we call it avoidant, than to get close. There can be a fear of being vulnerable because when I'm vulnerable, things kind of come up out of nowhere that I'm not expecting. And you can also see this play out maybe in some workaholic type of behaviors. It might be easier to uh, pour yourself into your work than to pour yourself into your spouse or your family because there's some vulnerability there. Um, whereas compared to work, it might not feel as vulnerable. So that can be a default 
um, mode of interaction for somebody with an avoidant attachment. The third attachment style is ambivalent. And ambivalent is kind of a mixture of anxious and avoidant attachment styles. Usually you're going to see ambivalent um, attachment come from uh, a severe situation of abuse or neglect. So there were maybe moments where this person growing up had to walk on eggshells. They were never sure when somebody was going to kind of fly off the handle or get really upset. And, and then there were also moments of great love and affection. But the problem was it was very unpredictable. We didn't know what would cause somebody to be angry and we didn't know what would cause something for somebody to be upset. And so you'll see a mixture of both those anxious behaviors and avoidant of desiring, chasing, um, clinging kind of behaviors, calling a bunch of times, but then also withdrawing and avoiding and maybe becoming more of the workaholic. The fourth attachment style is secure. And secure, um, the majority of people fall in this range, but secure attachment develops when parents are attentive, they're able to promptly meet an infant's needs, a young child's needs. And these people know and trust the world around them. So, you know, if somebody doesn't respond to a text within 10 minutes, they're not thinking that, you know, oh my gosh, they want to end my relationship. They hate me. They don't like me. They're just like, oh, they must be busy. They'll call me back later. Um, Those types of things. So again, when we think about this, when we think about your relationship with God, how parents imaging the Trinity in their families, these attachment styles also impact how a child might relate to God, like I mentioned earlier. So that secure attachment style, growing up in a family full of love, it's very easy to view God as a loving God. But as somebody who maybe grew up and has developed that anxious attachment style might view God as withdrawn or punitive in some way and feeling like they need to follow rules very rigidly in order to receive and accept God's love. And so there's lots of different dynamics that play into that that are so important. So the bottom line is when we love deeply, When we take this time, we make God visible and we impress upon our children the truth of who God is. When we do this well, our children are going to be that much more disposed to receiving God's love. They're going to be more open to a relationship with him and viewing him as a loving God. And you are going to have your your family be a witness of God's love for us and for the world through your actions. And so anything that we can do to strive to outpour of ourselves and give that sacrificial love is going to be beneficial for anyone and everyone as much as possible. So I encourage you to give it a try (laughs) if you aren't already doing it. In addition to that, don't forget that you're also would be setting up your child and your children for more healthy relationships in the future as an adult, which I forgot to mention earlier. If you notice yourself falling into one of those attachment styles, anxious, avoidant, ambivalent, and you're sort of panicking and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm anxious. You know, I have an avoidant attachment style. What do I do? Um, not all hope is lost that we can always develop a more secure attachment, but I'll talk about that in a second. 
So when we do this, we are also influencing our children's future. We're helping them have healthy relationships, not only in our families, but into adulthood and how they interact with others when they are counting and developing their own relationships in the future. So not only are you bearing witness to the world of God's Trinitarian love of God's love for the world, but you're also setting up your children for success for having healthier relationships in the future. So now we'll get into a mental wellness tip for today. It's going to be really brief. What I want to do, since we're talking about the Trinity, I want to think about three people that you trust and something as simple as listing three people that you know you can trust that you can go to in a time of need, whether that is for prayer, for support, for marital advice, relationship advice, encouragement, Um, three people you know you can go to in a time of need. And I'm choosing three on purpose for the Trinity. But part of the logic behind this, this is sort of what um, we call as therapists a safety plan. So I'm giving you a modified version of a safety plan. For the sake of today, we're going to call it your Trinity Action Plan. But what is so helpful to us when we're taking care of ourselves and making sure we're mentally well and healthy is relying on our community of people, relying on the people around us that God provides for us, relying on those healthy relationships that we have. And so it's nice to have the front of mind, who are those three people? If you were in a real crisis situation, knowing, you know, and even ranking the people, who's who's your number one, who's your number two, who's your number three, who would you reach out to in a serious situation? And the reason why we, it's nice to have more than one person and ideally three, maybe sometimes even five, depending on the situation of what we're talking about. But um, because sometimes number one or number two might not be right available in that crisis moment when you need it. So it's helpful to just go through the exercise, list those people off, maybe place a note somewhere in your house where it's visible to you or put it in your phone um, as part of your Trinity action plan so that when that serious situation comes up, you just know who to call without thinking about it. So it's just helpful to go through the exercise so you kind of already know who those people are when the time comes. Now we'll get into a question uh, that I get a lot about attachment. A lot of people say sometimes, what if I didn't develop a secure attachment? What if I'm anxious? You know, they're, you're hearing me talk through some of those attachment styles and you're thinking, oh my gosh, what if I'm ambivalent or avoidant or anxious, or I'm afraid my children didn't develop a secure attachment because of how I interacted with them? you know, what should I do? And what I'll say is, you know, don't worry, not all hope is lost. This is when uh, what we call an earned secure attachment comes into play. Um, It's never too late to develop a secure attachment. And this is when adults develop the ability to reflect on and discuss their challenging past in a coherent way, in a balanced and reflective manner. They're able to make sense of their attachment style and their life story And they often do this by attending therapy and by participating in healthy relationships. So any ability, any way to have a healthy relationship, healthy interaction, even in adulthood is a way of healing those unhealthy attachment styles and helping us move more towards a secure attachment style. So have no fear. There's always the ability to develop a secure attachment, whether it's for you or your kids. And thanks so much for listening today. Um, 
like I said, there's some really good deals going on right now for um, some online resources I'm offering, Discovering Deep Love. It is a marriage course, and there's lots of great items and bundles in there and bonuses um, that you guys can use for date nights. So check that out. There's also an Emotional Intimacy and Sexual Intimacy Love Lab. So if you're listening to this during the Black Friday deals, um, please go check it out. You're not going to want to miss it. There's really amazing deals going on right now. And I'm looking forward to seeing you over there in those online resources. And we'll talk soon. If you have enjoyed this episode, you can find more Connecting Out Loud content on our Facebook and Instagram pages. As always, I appreciate each and every review. So if you can take some time to rate and review this show, I read each one and I love hearing from you. Be intentional and connect out loud. Connect out loud.